Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful that your word accomplishes exactly what you will and that there is no, um, no fault or failure uh, of, of my own that will stifle your, your intentions. So God, please let us see with our eyes and behold with our minds and, and, and feel with our hearts and do with our hands that which we need to do to reflect your perfect will of what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 again. We're continuing with our, with our uh, few parables. Um, should, be, uh, should be just next week, and then we are done with the parables. Is this in a weird angle, maybe? Ooh, ooh. Don't want to touch that. All right. Um, we're going to be going in verses 44 to 46 today. But before we begin, I want to ask the question, how valuable are God and his kingdom to you? This, this is the question that our text today is focused on. Um, it's two parables that have the same theme. They present the same truth, and they do so from two different perspectives. So again, open up Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. Uh, so let's go ahead and read. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice in these verses is the inherent grandeur and glory, or as the text says, worth of both the treasure and the pearl. So great was their value that these two men sold all that they had in order to obtain them, to get them. That means that they sold new things, they sold old things, they sold everything they owned. Because why? Because the treasure and the pearl were of so much greater value than what they had. So the point we need to see from the onset of these verses is that nothing is as valuable as God's kingdom. Nothing that you own, nothing that I own, nothing that anybody owns, nothing that Donald Trump owns, nothing that Bill Gates owns, nothing that Jeff Bezos owns is as valuable as God's kingdom. This is the view of a Christian of any Christian, of anybody that claims to be Christian and follows Jesus, it, it, they, they follow him with their absolute worshipful abandon of their earthly treasure. Why? So that they can gain him and be a citizen of his kingdom. So why, why, is, why is God's kingdom, why is this treasure, this pearl, so valuable? Why is it that both of these men would, would sell everything that they've got, everything that they currently value, in order to obtain them? Well, to answer this question, I, I, I want us to consider the gospel. I want us to, um, uh, I, I, I want us to, to, to reason 
why God's kingdom is so incredibly precious that they would do this. Um, I, 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 I've been trying very hard to, I, when, I, when I evangelize, I try very hard to bring the gospel in naturally, and sometimes it feels really canned. Um, and so one, one method that I've been trying recently is to ask, why, why do we think, why do Christians call the gospel good news? Um, and so this is an adaptation of that, and it's going to sound canned, and I apologize. But, but, uh, but we, we, have to, we have to wonder why Jesus came into the world in the first place for our text, to understand why the kingdom is so important. He came because Adam and Eve, our federal heads, our federal representatives as the first created humans, sinned and brought about the fall, the fall of creation. Sin came into play. And it wreaked havoc. It wrecked every facet of life and even caused humanity to rebel against a perfect, holy, and righteous, and just God. That means that every portion of who you are has some tinge of sin to it. None of you is sinless. And that includes me. I am not sinless. Nobody is sinless. Why? Because there is some portion of everything that we do that has even just a sliver of sin in it. And that sliver of sin has enough weight to send us all to hell. However, God, since before the foundation of the world, since before he even spoke Anything into existence, Ephesians 1.4, determined a plan to redeem man out of the fall that they, at that point, were going to cause and at our point, have caused. That plan involved the sending of his own, his very own son, who was a perfect reflection of all of his attributes, including his holiness. And his son then would have to die for mankind giving them a resurrection into eternal life and also giving the rebellious a resurrection into eternal death. John 5, 29. Therefore, being a citizen of Christ involves the promise, the eternal life, the promise that, that, that all sin would be removed eternally, that, that creation would be restored into, a, into the state that was like that before the fall, without any possibility of ever breaking it again. Which of you for five minutes could be perfectly holy? Probably no one. Which, which person in, in, in all of creation would be able to, in, in all of time, would be able to go five minutes without sinning? Jesus. Only Jesus, the only person who ever walked this earth who was able to go five whole minutes without having an impure thought, an impure action, uh, something deserving of condemnation was Jesus. And you know what happened to him? He was killed by sinners like you and I. And that was God's redemptive plan, offering a sacrifice perfect to atone for the sins of the many. 
This, this, is, this is beautiful. Why? Because there would be no hope without the death of Jesus. There would, be, there would be nothing without the death of Jesus. If you and I can't go five minutes without sinning, how do you think we could stand before God and say, hey, look at me, how righteous I am. Let me into your kingdom. We would have no hope of it. None. Absolutely nil, zilch, nada. I can't remember zero in Japanese, but, but there, there would be no hope, none. So can you, can you imagine a restored kingdom? Can you imagine all of creation renewed or, or resurrected, as we talked about in our, in our Sunday school this morning? Can you imagine it? In some part, no, <laughs> not at all. Because there's always disease and death and despair and depression in this world. But when Jesus came, when Jesus walked this earth, something that we with our eyes don't get to see, uh, well, we with our eyes don't get to see in the sense that Jesus walks around, but we with our eyes get to see in the sense that we read his word, we read what he's done, we see Jesus prove that sin doesn't need to maintain its hold. Removing diseases, demons, deficiencies, and discipling fallen people into following him. That's the kingdom inaugurated. The king coming, having a victory procession his whole life, proving that, that this doesn't need to be the way it is. So in another part, yes, we can imagine how great it's going to be when, when the kingdom of God gets fully established. Our souls and our hearts cry out that something is wrong. We don't even have to turn on news to see that something is wrong. We can walk down the street. We can see someone walking with a cane or a crutch. We can, we can hear a child, probably mine, screaming in pain for hurting themselves. We know something is wrong and we want something right. We want something perfect. We want a kingdom that's not of this earth and its current status. We desire it. So yes, we can imagine the new kingdom. So much so that when we read the final chapters of Revelation, we go, yes, that is exactly what I want. Not just the beauty of the walls with barrels and onyx and topaz and all that, but we look of Jesus shining his light across the entire earth and go, yes, yes, Lord. So when we read in Matthew 13, this, this, this treasure hidden in a field, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God ultimately being inaugurated, we say, yeah, that's worth everything. That's the call of the Christian who, like the man in the first parable, in his joy, yes, this being, be, being brought about, yeah, this is exactly what we want, what we need. You and I need to see nothing, or see that nothing on earth is as valuable as the kingdom of heaven. These parables are supposed to be showing not just the extremist, not just the fanatic, not just the zealot who's on fire for Jesus and takes all of his bank money and throws it in the air and lets the wind take it where it will. That dude's got 
problems. But that's that's not real. But 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 we we need to we need to go ahead and realize that this is supposed to be us. You and me in these two parables. Seeing, seeing the, the kingdom of God so valuable that we, we, we are willing, if, if it's necessary, to sell everything we have in order to obtain it. We need to, as Colossians 2, 2-3 says, reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Nothing is as valuable as God's kingdom. Nothing, nothing, no thing, not a single thing. We should be willing to give up everything we have in order to obtain it. Amen? When we look at these parables, uh, we, we see again men that sold everything to obtain it. But the first man actually goes to an even high, an, an even uh, a, a step beyond. In order to obtain it, he hides it. Read it again, verse forty-four: The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. He hides it, so that so that nobody else would be able to come along and snatch it up. The actions of this man demonstrate how great this treasure of being a citizen of the kingdom should be to us. It should be so personal, so prized, so beloved that we would want to do anything and everything possible to get it. Not just, not just selling everything we have, but actually a step beyond hiding it, making sure that nobody else is going to get it. We should be limited by nothing. There, there should be nothing you and I own that's more important than the treasure of being a citizen. Your home, your house, your heirlooms. Uh, I, I mean, I, when we moved here, there were a lot of things in boxes that when I found them, I found joy. It was like finding a treasure hidden in a field. Um, I, this is a dumb example, but my favorite broom was in our... Our, our storage closet. And I mean it, it, it's a favorite broom. It's this OXO broom. It, it doesn't miss dust. You ever, you ever have a broom where you're sweeping and there's like that one Cheerio that somehow, like, like an X-Wing in Star Wars, is weaving between all the bristles and not moving. It's not stuck. You can touch it with your foot. Why isn't the broom moving it? My OXO broom, man, it doesn't miss it. Doesn't miss them Cheerios. And, and when I found it, I was so excited. I actually called my wife. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the office of the storage unit because we were closing everything out. We were getting it all done. And I'm holding this broom. And, and, I, and I'm like, hey, honey, guess what? Found my favorite broom. And, and she, she's like, oh, is it that gray one? And it's, yeah, it's the gray one. She's like, did you find the small one that, that has a little dustpan on it? Yeah, I found that too. I found it. I found the broom. Because we, whole time in Chicago, just wished. Anyway, it's, it's so, so um, I was so excited for this broom. I'm sitting in the office. I'm calling my wife. And, I, I, and, I, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I got it. In the, got it I'm going to put it in the trunk of the car. You know, that way we'll have it when we move in. I can start using it. And I hang up the phone. And the dude behind the counter goes, goes how old are you? <laughs> and uh and 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 I'm and I'm uh, you know uh 30 
three or four or whatever, however old I am. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's like, you are a weird dude to have, to have a favorite broom in your early thirties. And I'm like, man, you just don't even know. You don't, you, <laughs> you don't know how wonderful this broom is. We should be willing to go to any length to express and obtain the kingdom of heaven. Any length. Even the length that we, we get recognized as strange for talking about it. Listen, adversaries, both human and satanic, both internal and external, are going to try to convince you that the treasure of God's kingdom and our citizenship in it are not as precious as they really are. We'll get distracted by sinful passions in our flesh. We'll be tempted to not give away everything. You know, oh, we'll sell everything except this. But we should not give in to those temptations. How precious are God and his kingdom to you? What, what on earth would you want to hold on to? Would you think, oh, I, I can give everything away except for this. What would you want to hold on to that's better than God and his kingdom? You know, we want to say nothing, but frankly, there's always something. There's something holding on to your heart, something that has, has gone from prized possession to idol in your life. There's something that, that you would not want to give away, that you would not want to sell off or burn to the ground for the sake of God and his kingdom. There is something. We are always, always trying to find that idol in our life that, that would make us not like the man who finds the treasure hidden in the field and the man who finds the pearl of great value. So what is it? I'm going to make this sound easy, but repent. There you go. That's how you fix it. Whatever you find as an idol in your life, you repent. You turn to Christ. You dive into his word. You find out how truly valuable God is. He's more valuable than my favorite broom. He really is. He really is. Jesus himself is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great price. If this truth does not make your heart sing, if it does not cause you to look at all the things you own as, as useful, but, but able to be destroyed, then you've got an idol problem. Frankly, most of the time, most of the time, my, my, my idol is my family. And these last two months have not been easy where, where Rachel has been debilitated because of morning sickness, uh, where, where, where she is incapable of functioning, where I sit down with Rick on a, on a, a, a Thursday morning and I'm watching my kids run down, down the hill like feral dogs. Uh, throwing things and screaming. And I'll tell you, this valley out here, everybody can hear me. Everybody in all of Toledo can hear me. When I open the window and I go, boys, everybody, I'm serious. I was down at the park the other day and I shouted boys and this random lady goes, goes oh, you're that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, <laughs> but... So everybody can hear me do it. 
<laughs> um, but my kids have become an idol so often where their obedience, their, their actions uh, that irk me, they become an idol. I'll get to that at, at the end. I'm going to move on. Um, but listen, the, the things that you, 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 you own that are material possessions, the things that you own that are immaterial possessions, we should be willing to sell them off for the purity of God's kingdom. The things that you can't touch, those immaterial things, would be like your knowledge and experience. You ever have a conversation with someone where... Uh, uh, no matter no matter what, no matter how you're talking to them, their experience denotes reality. Those are people that will they'll sell off all their stuff, but man, can't get rid of those experiences, even if their experience does not match up to God's word. Things are of infinitely less value than God and his kingdom because God and his kingdom are of infinitely more value than anything else. Notice the pearl of great price. Verse 46, the guy finds the one pearl of great value. The pearl's value was inherent to the pearl. It wasn't a, a, a value set by the merchant that was selling it or a value haggled by the merchant that was buying it. The pearl was already of great value. Now, to us, pearls, excuse me, pearls are not that important. Uh, I mean, you could find pearls if you just went diving out here, uh, just got to pull open a bunch of clams. Um, in the ancient world, they, they were extremely valuable because they washed up on shore, and it's like, where the heck did this come from? This is beautiful. But, but if think, think in terms of a, of a diamond of great value. How about that? Let's say, let's say you were looking for diamonds, and you walk in the jewelry store, and you find a diamond that's bigger than your head. And, you, and, and it's perfectly pure. You can view right through it. You can hold it up to the light, and it creates a kaleidoscope of colors. That's what this guy is finding. The diamond doesn't need to be measured in value. We just know that it is of every absolute value. It is, it is inherently valuable. Why wouldn't we give up things for that? Something of infinitely more value than even a diamond. Another thing I want you to note about, notice about this text is there's two pathways that these guys find their treasure. The first guy, it seems indicated that he literally stumbles on it. That he, he finds a treasure hidden in a field. Like, almost like you're walking through and there's a tree and you're like, oh, that's a nice tree. And you look up and there's a treasure chest in it. Or, or walking along and he sees something sticking out of the ground and he's, he's like, what is that? He, he stumbled upon it. But then the other guy is searching for it. He's actually searching for fine pearls, verse 45. King of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. He's looking for it. So God is ordaining both the stumbler and the seeker. Both methods of finding God are completely valid. I can frankly say that, man, I was the accidental stumbler that came into the kingdom of God. Um, I, 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 I did not search for the treasure of God and his kingdom on purpose. 
instead, I happened to be stuck in a class in high school. It was weightlifting, uh, but I was stuck in a class in high school that none of my friends were interested in. So I had to make friends, and I, I found some new friends who just happened to invite me to a church, which was also the same church that my next-door neighbor just happened to invite me to. And, and also the same church that a guy I ate lunch with, who was a friend of a friend, just happened to invite us to. Total coincidence, right? No. God sovereignly and providentially brought me into his kingdom. To my eyes, it looked like coincidence. To my eyes, I had, uh, I, I had just accidentally found, found uh, this one church that people were inviting me to. But listen, however you came to know Christ, whether by stumbling through the doors of a church and into his word, or, or if you were seeking for that restoration your heart knows that this world needs, or if you're even still searching, God is determining that either way is completely valid. The stumbler and the seeker both find the treasure. But no matter how, how you've come into possessing this great treasure, the result's the same. You got to be willing to sacrifice everything you have in order to obtain it. You're going to look weird like the guy that thought I was weird for having a favorite broom. I mean, who doesn't have a favorite broom? Anyway, uh, but, but you're going to look weird to people for being willing to sacrifice everything to obtain this treasure. But if you're not willing to obtain it, you're going to end up like the dude in Mark 10. Well, who's that dude? Well, let's read Mark 10, 17 to 22. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't need to turn there. Uh, and as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I am wealthy, wealthy in righteousness. I am so wealthy. I've got all my righteousness. I've done it. I've done it. Good. I'm glad you just let me check that box, Jesus. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Anyone who is not willing to give up everything that they have, everything that they are, their self-righteousness, their material righteousness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it's not, not a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you what God has been teaching me in these verses this last week. This has been such a hard sermon to write. Sometimes it's hard because I get self-convicted, not self-convicted, but I get convicted by the text and, and I, I frankly uh, hate the application because I know that I have to live differently, but, but, but sometimes I get, I, I, it's a hard text because ah, it's really hard to figure out what the text is saying. This one's not that case. It's not the case either, really. Um, God, God really, through this text, gave me a renewed joy in battling temptation. He gave me a renewed joy, joy in battling my own sin. 
because he reminded me of how precious and valuable he is, how worthy God is of everything. God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one, the one who before the foundation of the world decided, you, Scott, you are going to worship me and I am going to regenerate and bring you to myself. The one, the one who before the foundation of the world had already deemed that he would send his son in order to redeem fallen, fallen creation. The one who is going to, to, to live on earth, shining his light through all of creation. The one who is fully magnificent. The one who is fully glorious, fully majestic. The one whom your heart longs for, even if you don't know it longs for it. He is the one who gave me a reminder that he is so worthy of everything that I am. That me giving up sin is not actually giving anything up. It's throwing what's already garbage in the garbage. Just like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now pause. That word rubbish is actually a swear word in the Greek. He says it's fecal matter. And I'm going to swear here. I'm going to say a swear word. You ready? He calls it scubalon. There you go. I swore. I swore in the Greek, but I swore. So, so he counts everything as fecal matter in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen, Paul shows us what it's like to value the kingdom of God, to hide it in the field, to give away everything that he has. Paul's like that super missionary. We all, we all, every single Christian who reads Acts, maybe it's the first time you read it, reads Acts, goes, yeah, I want to be like Paul. Nobody says, I want to be like Peter. I promise. But everybody, everybody says, oh, I want to be like Paul. And if you, if you want to look at Paul as, as an example, then you have to count everything you own and the loss of it as completely worth it. You have to be willing to count all things that, 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 are, that you own as pale in comparison as attaining the kingdom of heaven. The Lord helped me this week in realizing that I need to fight temptation, not, not as somebody who goes, man, I really want to do this sin, but I'm not supposed to. As somebody who looks, looks at temptation and goes, yeah, you temptation, you are worthless. You are garbage. You are refuse. You are fecal matter. You're scuba on. Jesus is worth it. So how valuable is the kingdom of God? And, and uh, how, how valuable are, are God and his kingdom to you? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up in order to gain everything that you really want and need? Let's pray. Gracious God, you are so worthy 
worthy beyond all comparison, worthy in ways our, 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 our minds can't even imagine, worthy in ways that even though John recorded it in Revelation, our minds can't comprehend it. We can, we can draw it out on a piece of paper and that drawing is going to do nothing, nothing like really seeing it with our eyes is going to do. God, let us, let us sell everything if you so call. Let us give up anything if you so call. Let us give up our idols knowing that we're not giving anything up. We're gaining everything by, by turning to you, by running to you forsaking our sin and, and giving our shame to you, recognizing that you, you, you fulfilled them on the cross. God, you are worth it. Fill our hearts with the wonderment that we need, the awe that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. As our parables showed us today. Uh, the Christian life is a life of worshipful abandon of earthly treasure for the purpose of gaining true eternal treasure. If there is anything in your life that you are unwilling to sell, turn to Christ, pray about it, ask for the strength. If there's anything you own that's holding you back from really, really worshiping the Lord, then again, turn to him. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Go in peace, saints.